Good morning again. Such a pleasure to be with you this morning. And um, I do want to just say thank you for the love, the encouragement, the prayers. It's been such an honor to serve here at the church. And you're, you're our family. And we very much love you. And our Wednesday morning ladies Bible study and the children and the staff and our congregation have just been so, I can't even tell you how much we love you. I will cry, and I, then we won't have a sermon, so I'm going to end it there just to say thank you. We really appreciate you. My goal for this morning is to bring glory to the Lord and lead us into a time of worshiping him as we look at three great hymns of the faith and the verses of scripture that inspired the writings of those hymns. Now, I won't invite you up on the platform like I did with the kids, although that could be very interesting too. <laughs> but I hope that you enjoy the stories of the hymn writers because so many of those hymns were written from a place of pain or circumstances that require so much faith. They can really inspire us to worship God in whatever circumstances we find ourselves in. Worshiping God through the gift of music can transport us from a place of worry and doubt or distraction and dissatisfaction into a place of hope where we can focus on the goodness and faithfulness of our creator as we worship him. Music can lead us into the experience of feeling God's love and his faithfulness in a very unique way. There's a place in our souls when we're worshiping God, when we meet God in a very incredibly emotional way and a profound way through music. It lifts us away from the poles of our fears. It helps us experience a renewed hope as we listen and sing about the eternal truths that the hymn writers have shared with us. Psalm 98 was already read for us, but just listen to these verses again. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Burst into jubilant song with music. Make music to the Lord with the harp, with the harp and the sound of singing. I hope you enjoy the stories, the words, and the music. But most of all, I hope to glorify God as we're reminded of his goodness toward us. Especially as we hear how evident his presence was to the hymn writers as they were experiencing both good and bad times in their lives. Psalm 46 says, God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in times of trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging, the Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. God's genius is seen in details, but it's also seen, very well seen, in the massive, unmatchable structures of creation where he reveals his awesome power and glory. Someone once said that by the simple measure of scale, God gives us deeper insights into the diversity of his character. When we look at a majestic mountain standing high and strong, it not only emphasizes our smallness, but it also gives us a sense of God's comfort as we read in the Psalms that he is our ultimate shelter and comfort and protection. As we think of God's greatness, it drives us to him. Yet each of us as individuals are invited into the daily refuge of his presence. He is both our protector and our confidant. He is great, but he meets us where we are in spite of who we are, in spite of of our frail faith and disappointing choices. 
He is our mighty fortress. On earth is not his equal. So the words of the hymn, and I'm sure you probably got it by now, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, are incredible. They're so deep and meaningful. We can find great comfort in that picture of God as our refuge, a place of safety to which we can run when we need protection in times of trouble. When life gets hard, we can run into the fortress and pull the strong gate closed behind us. There, we are protected. And in spite of our ancient foe, we find our strength through Jesus Christ. This powerful hymn is one of many written by Martin Luther. He was born on November 10th, 1483. And he was brought up in the strict atmosphere of the Roman Catholic Church. Martin Luther was a very well-educated man, but he was terrified by thoughts of the wrath of God. He was on a constant search for inner peace. After finishing his master's degree, he entered an Augustinian monastery to become a monk. In the meantime, the climate of the Catholic Church became increasingly political and unhealthy. At this time, Martin Luther was spending a lot of his time worshiping God and reading the scriptures, and he found many of the practices of the ancient Catholic Church to be very contrary to scripture. You all know about this if you love history. On October 31st, 1517, Martin Luther posted 95 theses on the door of the Wittenberg Chapel, protesting the teachings of the medieval Roman Church. We know this as the beginning of the Protestant Reformation. This great reformer, Bible translator, and political leader was also a wonderful musician. As the Reformation began, Luther was determined to restore worship to the German church. He worked with skilled musicians to create new music for Christians to be sung in their own language. He helped to revive congregational singing as he wrote many hymns. Luther was excommunicated for his controversial public declarations and criticisms of the established Catholic Church, and after many threats of arrest and extradition to Rome for trial, he was placed in protective custody in a castle in a place called Eisenach, Germany, for over a year. It was during this time of isolation where he translated the Bible from Greek into German as well as wrote many hymns. The hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, is sort of a theme song for the Reformation, and it's been translated into almost every known major language. And it also happens to be the national hymn of Germany. The words of this hymn are such a good reminder of how safe we are in the arms of God. I particularly like the second verse. Listen to the words. If we in our own strength confide, our striving would be losing. We're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. I ask you who that may be. Christ Jesus, it is he. Lord Sabaoth, his name. From age to age the same, and he must win the battle. That Greek word Sabaoth is, is a very rich word, and it's a little bit hard to translate because that one word means such a vast variety of ideas to us. But the best I can do is translate it to mean God, the host of the army of unseen angels. The army of unseen angels. That just paints a word picture in my mind of God at work in the heavens, protecting all of us and guiding us when we can't even see him or his angels at work. It reminds me of the story in the Old Testament book of Second Kings, 
where God provides an invisible army of angels leading horses and chariots of fire to protect Elisha and his servant from the Syrian king. The world at time does threaten to undo us. However, we need not fear because God has planned for his truth to triumph. As the hymn says, his kingdom is forever. A little awkward for a
Our next hymn is based on the verses from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. John Newton penned these words in 1779. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound, that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found, was blind, but now I see. T'was grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. I'm thankful that Judy played that for us and that we were able to sing some of these hymns as well so you can remember the words and just the richness behind them. God's grace truly is amazing. It transforms sinners into saints. It overcomes the power of sin and sets us free. No matter how much we have sinned, no matter how far apart we are from God, he graciously accepts our repentance. The story of John Newton is one of grace beyond comprehension, beyond the ability to repay. God's grace stepped into John Newton's sinful life and transformed him. Born in London on July 24, 1725, John's story begins with his mother's good influence. His earliest memories were of his godly mother who, despite fragile health, devoted herself to nurturing his soul. At her knee, he memorized many Bible passages and sang many hymns. Though she died just before his seventh birthday, he later recalled her tearful prayers for him. After her death, John alternated between boarding school and the high seas, wanting to live a good life, but nonetheless falling deeper and deeper into sin. John Newton was pressed into military service with the British Navy, but he ended up running away, and he ran to Africa to seek his fortune in a new adventure in the slave trade, signing on with a particularly cruel and unscrupulous slave trader. John ran away once again, fleeing the ship while it was docked in the harbor. He was eventually rescued by a passing ship, but his lack of discipline once again got him in trouble and he found himself banished below deck for his punishment. It was a miserable journey from Africa to England in the stifling, stinking hold of that ship, and John had endless days and nights to ponder his empty life and the life of those slaves that were near him in the hold. Somehow, a copy of Thomas Akempis' book, The Imitation of Christ, fell into his hand and his conscience was reawakened to the things of God as he read it. About that time, on the night of March 9, 1748, John Newton was jolted awake by a brutal storm that had descended too suddenly for the crew to foresee. Desperate measures were taken to keep the ship from sinking. Much of the cargo was thrown overboard to try to lighten the load. Every able-bodied man, slave or free, bailed water from the floundering ship. The next day, in great peril, John cried out to the Lord and had a life-transforming experience. The assurance of God's presence and love flooded his soul. Later, he would write that the 10th of March, 1748, the Lord came from on high and delivered him from the deep waters. John Newton's safe arrival back to London caused him to wonder at the grace of a God who would protect him and save him and even listen to him 
after all the terrible things he had done. Through his encounter with God during the storm and the words of Thomas Akempis, he surrendered his life to Jesus Christ. I'm sure he wondered how God could possibly forgive his many, many sins. But it was his grace, his free grace, this gift that brought John safely through the storm at sea and would eventually lead us home. God continued to work in John Newton's heart, and after years of slow, halting spiritual growth, in 1755, he finally and permanently gave up the slave trade. He began working as a surveyor in Liverpool, and while there, was, while there he was heavily influenced by John and Charles Wesley. He began studying Latin, Greek, and Hebrew, and enrolled in seminary. At the age of 39, he was ordained in the Anglican Church. He was a popular preacher, and he held weekly services and prayer meetings at his first church near Olney, England, as well as touring around various parts of England to preach. It was during this time when he was touring England that the hymn Amazing Grace was penned. Large crowds would gather to hear the story of a former slave trader who had been set free by God's amazing grace. In the end, he became one of the most powerful evangelical preachers in British history, and a forceful foe of slavery, and the author of hundreds of hymns. That little word, grace, we don't deserve it and we cannot earn it, but what a gift. Hebrews 4.16 tells us that we can therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Romans 3.22 says, For we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God but are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound.
And our last hymn this morning, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. The cross of Christ is the only way to bridge the gap between us and the Father. Jesus' resolve, dedication, and love is symbolized by the cross. We wear crosses around our neck as jewelry. We see them on the tops of churches and on the fronts of Bibles and hymn books. But in reality, the cross was an instrument of horror and torture. The Romans used crucifixion to punish their worst criminals. This was usually conducted in a public place in order to teach an unmistakable lesson. A cross was never a thing of beauty in the Roman Empire. People would never have worn one as a piece of adornment back in Jesus' day. But to the believer, the cross has become a thing of beauty because it symbolizes Jesus' blood covering over our sin from the beginning of time through the end. His outstretched arms bring us assurance of our salvation. The cross is a reminder that we can now be in a right relationship with the Father. This hymn about the wondrous cross has been called one of the greatest hymns in the English language. It was written in 1707 by Isaac Watts. The inspiration for the hymn comes from Galatians 6.14. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Born in Southampton, England, Isaac Wass was the son of a scholarly man who homeschooled all of his children. Isaac was the oldest of eight in a godly family who lived in the time period when those in England who sought to worship God as they chose would be severely persecuted. Isaac's father was a respected nonconformist but he was often punished by the leaders of the Church of England. He was put in prison several times for his religious views. In fact, when Isaac was born, his father was incarcerated. Later, Isaac wrote about how his mom had nursed him on the steps of the prison. Isaac was basically a genius. He learned to speak Latin at age four, Greek at age nine, and then when he was 11 years old, Some new neighbors from France moved in next door, and in order to communicate with them and befriend their children, he learned French. And then at age 13, he learned Hebrew. He also had the gift of being able to write poetry from a young age, and sometimes that got him into trouble. One evening during family devotions, young Isaac began to laugh out loud during his father's prayer time. When his father scolded him, he replied that he had just seen a mouse run up a rope. But he said it like this, a mouse, for want of better stairs, ran up the rope to say his prayers. Well, his father was not impressed or amused, and he was about to punish him for interrupting his prayers. So Isaac said, oh, father, pity take, and I will no more verses make. (laughs) Friends of the Watts family who saw the incredible potential in Isaac offered to pay his tuition at either Oxford or Cambridge but that required that he would renounce his religious convictions and conform to the Church of England. He refused to do that and instead attended the dissenting academy, which was run by independent believers for those who were barred from the main universities. In 1602, he became the pastor of London's Mark Lane Independent Chapel. Isaac was known for his generosity, his humility, and his godliness, but as a homely man, He was refused by his lovely girlfriend when he asked her to marry him. Her reply, very sad, I think, I like the jewel, but not the setting. 
One thing that exasperated Isaac was the dreary, ponderous church music of the day. His complaints were heard by his father, who challenged him to write his own music for the church. So he had a desire to take scripture and paraphrase it and set it to music, so it would be possible for Christians to sing God's word in the form of good poetry. Before that, only psalms were sung in church, as Calvin insisted, saying that the actual language of the Bible should be the only form of worship. Isaac Watts created the model for English hymnody, and in 1707, his first hymn book was published, called Hymns and Spiritual Songs. This was the first real hymn book written in the English language. Joy to the World and O God, Our Help in Ages Past are two of the best-loved hymns from that volume. When I surveyed the wondrous cross was met with extreme controversy when it first came out because it didn't come directly from a psalm, but it was written from Isaac's heart, based on his personal feelings about what Christ had done on the cross. Listen to the words of this great hymn. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the king of glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and poor contempt on all my pride. Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast, save in the death of Christ my God. All the vain things that charm me most, I sacrifice them to his blood. See from his head, his hands, his feet, sorrow and love flow mingled down. Did e'er such love and sorrow meet, or thorns compose so rich a crown? Isaac took the picture of Christ's crucifixion from scripture, and he painted himself in the picture, describing his beloved Savior, with his hands and feet nailed to the cross and blood flowing down from the wounds. At that moment, Jesus had transformed the rugged cross into an instrument of forgiveness. This hymn does a really good job of encapsulating our faith. It helps us understand the depths of God's love for us, that he would send his son not as a king, but as a child, not to receive honor, but to die the death of a sinner even though he was sinless. Why? Why would God do that? To bring us back to himself. What a gift. Love so amazing, so divine. Demands my soul, my life, my all. There are a couple different hymn tunes for the words, and I'm going to try to play them both at the same time for you, so we'll see how that goes. And one more key change. On this hymn, on, on this harp. So, what I'm doing is just giving myself a different key to play in.
Thank you for the opportunity to take this little journey with me and these three amazing hymns and their stories and their authors, what they went through as they wrote them and the verses that inspired them. I hope it inspires you as well. And may we allow the glorious music of the church to bring us into a closer relationship to Jesus as we sing his praises together. From the mighty fortress of protection that God offers us to his amazing grace that he gives us as he leads us to the foot of the wondrous cross. To God be the glory. Amen.